Oh, come on, you're killing me, man. Killing me. Bro, like, oh. <laughs> that is like, that is like, yeah, super confidential. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe. Game changed. Hello and welcome to House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. For those of you watching on YouTube, you'd see we're going with the front row special on the show this week. For those of you listening, it's a real pleasure to welcome former Leinster and Ireland tighthead Mike Ross and former Sharks and South Africa loosehead Tende Matawira, the beast, to the show. Well, you're welcome, lads. Thanks, bro. Actually, this, this fella, I just want to say first, this fella should come with a trigger warning for me. Because like I've I played I think three times against you, man, and I never got any change out of you. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I get little little flashbacks, sorry, little flashbacks seeing his face. <laughs> but yeah, uh, well, actually, we asked Mike to come on the show like a month ago, and he was all for it. And then I said, you know, by the way, the beast is coming on, and he was like, he was second guessing himself, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, jeez, I think when I came onto the scene, you know, uh, Mike would have been around for many, many years, man. So, <laughs> actually quite a, yeah, an honor to play against you. Yeah, yeah. I you think, know, we had uh, your friend Ibn Estebeth on probably around three or four weeks ago now. And yeah, he actually, nice. yeah, he was a great guest for us, but he, he, he told us a, a great story to bring up, bring up with you about um, your, <laughs> your, yeah, your, your bus trip on the way to the World Cup final against England and <laughs> he said uh, he said he was sitting a little bit up in the bus and obviously people have the headphones in people are getting focused and you know set up for the game biggest game of their career and they start hearing these roars from the back of the bus <laughs> you know like these, these these roars like 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 a lion or some sort of wild animal they just started getting louder and louder and people are looking back and um, this was you I hear what, what exactly was going through your head uh, oh, geez, uh, funny of Ivan to share that story, uh, because I think he was the only one that heard those sounds, because he sits right, you know, he used to sit right in front of me, and I guess, you know, it was all the excitement and, and everything, you know, before the game. I get pretty intense before, you know, um, a test match, and, uh, you know, um, yeah, so I had my, my headphones on, and I was kind of grunting a little, I was listening to a bit of hip-hop. So he was like, what is going on? Are you okay? So I'm like, no, I'm fine, man. I'm just excited. I can't wait to get on the field. So he just, yeah, so he loved that story because apparently it sounded like a lion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, never, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. That's what they say, Tende. Yeah, man, yeah, man. <laughs> but yeah, we were actually we did it. We were doing a little bit of research and digging on you, and a couple of your other former teammates have helped us out with with a couple of um, interesting stories as well. So one of them was um, on a, on a place called Circus Circus. So if, if yeah, so this place Circus Circus, I believe it's a restaurant, is it? Yes, it's a restaurant here in uh, in Durban. Yeah. Yeah, and you you held a record. So can you give it? So so, so what we've heard is they they basically they give you a a steak which is a kilogram in weight, six hundred grams of French fries, and a, a liter of Coke, and you've got under forty five minutes to eat it. And and if you eat it in under forty five, you get it for free. And we believe, that is correct. And this yeah. is like your your spot. You were going to the th- this place every week. You must have been costing them a lot of money. <laughs> yes, I was. I, I guess at the time, you know, I was I was uh, twenty years old and uh, young and poor. I didn't have much, <laughs> so this was like a free you know free meal for me every yeah every Thursday. Me and my friends used to go out there, and the first time I did it. I did it in a record uh, 12 minutes, man. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Like, what happened? Yeah, 12 minutes. Respect, (laughs) respect. Yeah, we heard you got banned from that place. Yeah, I was banned after a few times, you know, we went there because, you know, they kept on reducing the time from 45 minutes to 40 to 30, and we still finished, you know? And, uh, yeah, they decided to... Yeah, to kind of name us and shame us and tell us we're not allowed to come there anymore, man. So it was a, <laughs> it was a bummer. I lost out on a free meal there. <laughs> well, maybe someday we can get you and Mike together and you can have like a competition between the two of you. I wouldn't mind seeing that. 
Yeah, well, I, I, you, you went to Argentina a few times, right? You've been to Argentina? Yes. Yeah, that, that's yes. like prop heaven. You know, I mean, like, do they have the big, yeah. the, ste- the steaks start at about 800 grams and they just go up. And, you know, they, they, yeah. they, they keep all the good Malbec there. So you're having that and it doesn't cost as much, you know, to exactly. eat there. So no, it's, that's it's, so true. Now. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a great, spot, great spot to tour. Yeah, yeah the... Yeah. There was another one that, that was mentioned. Yeah, and speaking of Argentina, Tende, there was uh, another one of your teammates said that a few years ago, uh, w- so can you just tell us which teammate this was for us? So a few years ago in Argentina, uh, one of your a teammates' alarm went off when you were, you, you were in bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all th- they're all throwing you under the bus, man. All these people that were supposedly friends. No. But what he said was, uh, <laughs> what he said was, uh, his alarm went off, which this is quote from him caused you to shit yourself and jump out of bed and threaten him. <laughs> oh my good friend, my soul could see it. <laughs> so yeah, we were roommates, and then. He always used to forget to put off his alarm, you know, at awkward times. And, you know, I think the time difference with us, you know, that we were quite far behind. I think it was about 9 p.m. and, uh, yeah, close to 3 a.m. In, in South Africa. And I was tired and I was passed out already. And then next thing I hear this alarm going off and I just went, yeah, I went off it myself. I'm like, please, turn off that alarm right now. <laughs> 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 Brilliant man. Um and then there's another one here. So what what Bulls player did you once say Vutsek your fatty? <laughs> oh jeez. Oh man, that's that's definitely from Ivan. I know he's the one that told you all that. So, um, oh, but who yeah, is who, who, guy. Yeah, yeah. Who, give us the background there. <laughs> Uh, I don't think I should say this, guys. Hey. <laughs> okay, it was this guy called Dean uh, Grayling. Yeah. Dean Grayling. So me and him were quite, um, yeah, we're quite fierce competitors. He played the same position as myself. So every time when we went on the field, you know, it was like war. So I guess that day I just kind of lost it, and uh, yeah, and I said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was something along those lines. Yeah, so, oh, that's correct, yeah. Man. yeah, yeah. Dean Grayling, yeah, yeah. Um, and then just the last one there was, uh, where did you get your nickname Panga from? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, you're killing me, man. You're killing me. <laughs> oh, like, oh. <laughs> that is like that is like yeah, super confidential. I can't say that on this because you're not on TV right now, but yeah. you can't be seen by you know heard by people out there. Otherwise, I'm in trouble. Okay, <laughs> well, listen, this is a, this is a family this is a family show, so we'll leave that one out. Yeah, we'll leave that one out. Yeah. Fair, fair enough, man. That's that's guys. You're probably disappointed that. Even wasn't on after you because now you can't do what he's done to you, you know. But if you if he wants to surprise us, some info, yeah, return the favor. He probably could. I can definitely do that. Yeah, we, we might. To be honest, <laughs> we might have to get him back on because you've been done pretty badly here, you know. Yeah, man, they set me up properly. But yeah, listen, Tende and Mike. I suppose I feel like I'm a little bit out of my depth here talking to you two guys about you know what goes on in the scrums, particularly in the front row union, but. You know, you guys have faced off against each other a number of times, and we'll, I suppose we'll start with you, Mike. Like, what what are your memories of playing against Tende in South Africa in the times that you, you uh, played for Ireland? It's good. I mean, like, in fairness to Tende, he was never one of these chatters in the front row. He just did his job and got on with it. But but my overwhelming memory of playing against you is like playing against a hydraulic ram. You know, so I go in, and then the pressure just comes on like that, and that was why I always struggled with you because of that that surge of power. Like other props have built it a bit slower, you know, and you can deal with that. But with you, it was just like on and then I was off and then it was just on, you know. So that was always, you know, the trouble I had. I think the um, I got my last cap against you. I don't know if you remember 2016. I, I brought a few beers into the change room afterwards because I, I, I had a notion that it could have been my last time wearing an Irish jersey. And 
that was nice. Like I think we always got on fine after the games and tough competitors on it, but she was yeah. I was always like sweating a bit the night before a match. You know, so ten days. So you're, what, you're was, trying to, was, what you're trying to say here is ten day kind of forced you into retirement. Is that? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, he, no, he traumatized no, me, man. No, he traumatized no, me. Yeah. No, jeez, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. Really. Yeah. But, but no, uh, no, but like uh, yeah. yeah, I think you know for. No, sorry, just so yeah, for my side, you know, like Mike, you know, it was really an honor to play against you. I think, yeah, you know, to obviously play in your last test match, um, yeah, it was special for me. And I think you brought a wealth of experience. And at the time, you know, I was also trying to, you know, kind of solidify my position in the Springbok team and, you know, reach all this in enormous amount of caps, man. So, you know, it's a good fit in my camp. You were out injured for a bit before that, weren't you? You went through a spell of struggling with injuries, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, I was injured, yeah. That's true. Because um, I think I played against South Africa about five times, maybe, and the other time it was um, CJ Vandalin was playing Lucid, you know, and I, I played with CJ yes. at Leinster, and I knew if I just left CJ oh, alone, man. if you don't irritate CJ, he's fine, <laughs> you know. But if you, if you poke the bear, you know, and I, I I saw some props do that to CJ, I was like, oh man, you should just left him alone <laughs> because he he'd, he'd have been fine otherwise. You're getting, you're getting a bit pinged yeah, by tender, the band. Tender, you can get your kids on as well if, if they want to jump on the show. You know, yeah. we can hear them in the background there. Yeah, but I know they're like shouting. Uh, you can <laughs> see them down there running around calling me out. Yeah. Oh, you're good, man. <laughs> you know... Jeez, uh, no, no, it's okay. Uh, some of the... Um, just the detail that we have on you here on, on, I suppose, your experiences against Ireland as well. And your first game against Ireland was, was 2009, I think, November. You, you, you locked down against the famous John Hayes, who, you know, he played, I think, over 100 times yeah, 100. For, for Ireland in the front row. What, what were your memories of that, that game a long time ago? Yeah, I think it was, yeah, it was a huge one, you know, obviously playing. I think we, we played at uh, Lansdowne Road, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a special stadium. I think one of the, the things I enjoyed about that that stadium was the the atmosphere, you know, the Irish fans singing, and uh, it was a really special occasion. And I think, you know, I really wanted to, you know, get the ascendancy in that uh, test match. And I think Joe Nays, exactly, had been around for a long time, played so many caps. So, so I just remember, you know, giving him quite a hard time, you know, in that specific, in that specific game. And uh, I think we, yeah, we won in the end, and it was a good experience, you know, to to actually like, you know, beat um, such a good Irish team at the time. I think I don't know if Brian was still playing, Brian O'Driscoll, but he there were some been, big yeah. names in that on that team, yeah. So yeah, we got to win that game. Yeah, for sure. And then I suppose for anyone that would have only seen you playing for South Africa and maybe wouldn't have seen the stepping stone that you had to take to get there, can you can you kind of give us a little bit of background? on your kind of rugby journey, you know, from a youngster right up and in a, in a quick, maybe? Oh, yeah. So I think, yeah, so my story, uh, you know, I was born and raised in in, uh, in Zimbabwe and, uh, you know, I dreamt of playing professional rugby career, uh, professional rugby, and then obviously where I was, the circumstances were pretty hard and difficult. So the closest place for me to come and realize that dream was in South Africa. So... I embarked on this journey as an 18-year-old, came to South Africa, and uh, it was quite a daunting task, you know, because I was an unknown, had to make a name for myself, and how I did that, you know, was through hard work, you know, just, you know, pulling in the hours of work and really just uh, imposing myself on the guys around me, and that's how, you know, I earned the respect uh, of my, my, my peers, and obviously the name Beast got to be well-known, you know, in the rugby circles in South Africa, and then I made my debut for the Sharks when I was 21 years old in 2007, and uh, yeah, I just became a, a fan favorite in the stadium uh, with a chance of beast. You know, it was like you know, I became part and parcel of the culture of this side, and I embraced that, and I never let that get to my head. I stayed humble, you know, and just kept on working hard and letting my, you know, my my work speak for itself. And, uh, you know, I made, obviously, quite other challenges along the way. I made my debut for the Springboks in 2008, and then I got stopped uh, 
by the Minister of Sports to play uh, for uh, to to play for the Springboks because I didn't have a South African passport at the time, and it was quite uh, a, a really big, um, uh, tough challenge on, on my part, and the one that just brought up my character because I didn't lose hope. You know, I kept on believing that this whole situation was going to be resolved, and then now. Uh, yeah, before I knew it, uh, I got back onto the field because uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, you probably you know him, is uh, world famous. Yeah. So he's the one that uh, came and intervened and obviously got me my passport and uh, I was back on the field and then obviously achieved so many, many, many more great things after that with the World Cup victory in 2019 being the icing on the cake. Yeah, that must have been the pinnacle. It's funny because Eben actually said that you you made that nickname up yourself. <laughs> Which nickname? I'm only joking, man. I'm only playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, uh, listen. It, in fairness, the journey that you have had, and 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 that you know, World Cup win that you guys had, and it, we talked to to Eben about that, and and just you know, visibly how much that must have meant to the country and and the players involved. You know, it, it must have just been phenomenal. What was the change room like for you? You know, after you achieved that. No, I think it was incredible. You know, it was surreal to to actually, you know, imagine lifting that cup, you know, because of what we've been through as a squad. You know, 2016 and 2017 were really tough years. Uh, you know, we had our backs against the wall and the world of, you know, the world of rugby had kind of thought that Springbok rugby has is, is died and we're never going to rise up from it. And uh, thank God that we got Rossi back. <laughs> you know, Rossi came in and he was like, you know, he was the, the savior. You know, he's the one that came and, and just uh, changed everything, got everything back in place, put alignment, you know, and then put everybody, you know, to, to actually buy into the vision. And then eventually we, you know, we turned it all around and started winning, you know, games and, you know, beat the whole Blacks. In 2016, in, um, you know, in Wellington, that was probably the biggest confidence booster on this journey. And I think, you know, yeah, winning that cup in that change room, we kind of, kind of reminisced on the journey that it took to get there. And uh, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was unbelievable for myself as a senior player. Yeah, it took it took a while to sink in, you know. I'd say so. It looked particularly emotional for for a lot of you, but just it, get, getting back into a little bit of the dark arts of the kind of front row because as a back sitting here and probably a lot of the listeners and the people that will be viewing I'll hand this little bit bit over to you here but just you know from playing in teams where I've played in teams where the scrum has gone very well I've played in teams when the scrum has gone badly but it really is such a pivotal kind of point and a a pivotal kind of strength for a team to have if you're gonna if you're gonna gonna win games and I suppose my my question is um just going into going into games and 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 uh, really big scrums. Like, what what is the mentality? I suppose during the week. Like, you know, what what would you be talking about in terms of energy? In terms of you know targeting certain guys. Well, it, it kind of depends who you're up against. You know, I mean, we all know if you're playing against England or South Africa, you know, you have to respect them because they're going to go go after you in the scrum, and they usually have the personnel to do it. You know, so there's often a particular focus in those weeks and. The, you know, as you said, for I mean, you weren't actually bad when you were pressed into flanker action sometimes, you know, when you were sin-binned. Right, I think yeah. I should... Yeah. He was actually pretty good. He wasn't like Johnny May against England with his head, you know, in the wrong position. <laughs> Ferg, Ferg stayed down and he pushed, you know, so I was always happy to see you coming. But, yeah, it, it, it's kind of... It kind of sets the tone, doesn't it, Tendai? I mean, if you get a good first scrum and you're driving them backwards then you start putting a little bit of seed of doubt into their forwards' minds. And if you keep attacking them and every time they drop the ball, they go, shit, here comes another penalty. You know, it can really break teams, can't it? And, like, there's no better example of that than the World Cup final where, you know, he did a very good job in England scrum and they didn't have bad personnel playing. You know, I mean, Dan Cole is a good scrummager, you know, Joe Marler's a good scrummager, but they just didn't have an answer. Yeah, certainly not, and I think. No, no I think. Uh, uh, sorry, Tendi, go on. No, sorry, uh, the, the budget there. I think I agree with you, uh, Mark. You know, yeah, I think, you know, it depends exactly like you said. You know, on the opposition that you're facing, and that's kind that kind of focuses you to to focus on certain um, 
uh, you know, minute detail that is going to impact on how you scrum during the weekend. So I think it's something that we as front rows take a lot of pride in. And uh, yeah, I think uh, the scrum is, you know, it's a massive battle. You know, it's a, it's a place where you take a lot of confidence from. So when you get that first ascendancy, you get going forward. It's a domino effect, I believe. You know, your backs as well. You know, they end up also going forward. You know, it just has that huge psychological advantage on the other team. So I think that's what probably happened to us in that final. You know, that's what we got. You know, England couldn't just, you know, they couldn't fight back. The, it affected their backs. You know, they couldn't get, you know, um, you know, yeah, just the, the free flow of play that they usually had, you know, especially against the All Blacks in the semi final. So, you know, it takes a, yeah, especially in a test match, it's a huge, huge advantage to, to go forward at scrum time. Yeah, definitely. I think the set piece, really, it's it's in big games. It's a, it can be a statement. It's a statement when it's going well. You know, whether it's line out mall or scrum, when it's going well, um, you know, it's, it sends fear into the opposition, and you can it just you know it picks up the crowd and everything. And I think it's something that you guys leveraged in that World Cup massively. Um, but w- with the front rows again, like it seems like a real brotherhood in there because the you know the change rooms I've been in. The, you know, the front rows always hang out together. They always go for coffees together. You know, like Mike, for instance, since he's finished, he has a little front row whiskey club, so they meet up. I'm kind of still waiting for an invitation here, you know. They, they meet up, um, try a few nice whiskeys. But uh, were you the same over there? Do you, do you guys stick close together at the, the front rows in, in South Africa? Yeah, no, we, we definitely did. You know, we, it's a culture, you know, to, to always make sure that, you know, you kind of share moments, you know, either in, in uh, you know, in triumphs or defeats or in disappointments, you know, we kind of, you know, it kind of brings you together. So it is something that probably Matt Proudfoot brought into the, into the Springbok setup to go out every week and have a meal and share a beer, you know, after a game and just make sure that the front row is a family because it is a special it's a special place to be, you know. It takes uh, some very intelligent and talented <laughs> folks to play in the front row. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, yeah, you have to, yeah, embrace that and enjoy it. Yeah, well, I think it helps that we all have a love of food, you know. <laughs> that generally works well in our favour. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we've, there's kind of like a certain type of person goes into the front row and they tend to conglomerate together, you know. So if you're having like a... I know, a steak eating competition to generally get the front rows to be first to the trough, you know? Yeah, well, I find it ironic that 10, yeah. 10 days, like, oh, yeah, we used to always hang out together and go for meals. It's like, yeah, well, your meals sounded like they only took 12 minutes in Circus Circus, so you're not going to hang out too long there, you know? <laughs> no, there's beers afterwards, yeah. anyway. Yeah, well, I, I suppose um, one other thing I was going to touch on, uh, 10 day, was you, 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 you would have seen that international test match that, that uh, England came over and played Ireland in the, in the last game of the Six Nations and there was a, a tweet you put up after Ellis Genge, another front rower that you guys would be familiar with you know, there was I don't know if it, it looked like elbows or something was thrown on the ground and there was handbags anyway and uh, you threw up a tweet just saying he needs to be sorted out, would he, would he tempt you to come out of retirement to have a pop off him? <laughs> I think I've been asked that question quite a few times. Now, I guess, you know, for me, uh, you know, um, I, I just believe that what earns you respect out there, especially of the front row, it's, it's the way you scrummage, you know, it's the way you impose yourself on the opposition, you know, your work rate around the field and uh, how you just go, you know, go about, you know, your game and you don't, you know, you don't get involved in this argy-pagy stuff, you know, and, you know, have all this sideshow. So, so I just felt like, I just thought that Elias Gange has got so much potential. He's letting himself down by getting involved in this, you know, yeah, just uh, there's a small little uh, unnecessary, you know, um, yeah, battles that actually, you know, it's probably costing the team, you know, as a whole, you know. So, so I just believe that it's, it's, a, it's, it's got a negative impact on the game, especially in the front row. I guess how I, I, I judge front row is how they scrimmage, you know, I think so. Probably know for like Mike, you know, he just went about his business and he did it, you know, did it to the best of his ability. And guys, you know, front rows that have been 
that have been, you know, iconic out there in that field that have, you know, have had lasting legacies. You know, they've just gone about their business and done their job really well. You know, they Owen Franks, you know, guys that are quiet, they don't get involved in, yeah, and stuff that isn't necessary. So I just felt that Elias Gaines is getting involved in too much of this, yeah, you know, yeah, unnecessary. I, I always had the attitude as if you had enough to, breath to talk after a scrum, you weren't putting enough effort in. You know, so, you know, like like you said, just do your speaking in the scrum. And, mm. you know, because, like, this chat afterwards, it's just wasted energy. You uh, you guys definitely did that. I tell you what, though, Tende, Johnny Saxon will be happy enough for you to be volunteering yourself as his bodyguard, anyway. <laughs> Look, six will probably deserve this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> but listen, um, Tende, before we let you go, we'd love you to tell us about the, the Beast Foundation. And, and what it's all about. Yeah, so the Beast Foundation is uh, probably one of uh, the more uh, very exciting projects that I'm involved in. Uh, it's a vehicle that I created to, to give back in a big way because all along my career, you know, I got a lot of assistance financially. You know, I had people putting me up when I didn't have a place to stay. And I came, you know, from rock bottom, you know, and um, I relied on people's kindness and generosity. And now that I, you know, I achieved so much, you know, uh, uh, through God's blessing you know, and because God's favor, and I want to do the same for, for um, you know, the, the the future generation. And I want to help young kids, you know, achieve their ultimate dreams out there. Um, so my mission is to empower the youth through the platforms of sport, education, and life skills development. And we're focusing on on, on building the whole individual. You know, we're not just focusing on one aspect of their lives, you know, like their talent or sports or anything. We just we want to create awesome human beings that can become, you know, future leaders uh, of Africa one day. You know, that can really, um, yeah, change things. Because as you know, we have a lot of issues in Africa. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a huge socioeconomic disparity. You know, a lot of poverty. So how we can overcome that is by empowering the next generation. Of strongly so uh, that's what the beast foundation is all about a fair play man that's a pretty cool thing to get involved in particularly from your background and then just seeing the bigger picture because i think you know the three of us are retired but when you're caught in the rugby bubble you know it's sometimes very easy not to see the bigger picture of of you know um where people come from, you know, and, and, and how tough it can be for some people. So to have that sort of a thing going on must be pretty rewarding for you. Yeah, no, thank you. And no, it is definitely rewarding, you know. I see the many the many lives that we are already touching, you know. Um, yeah, it's just so special. It's a really nice feeling, you know, to help others climb their own ladder of success. Because yeah, I remember at one stage in my life, I was that young kid who just had a dream, you know, nothing much. And I wanted to realize that dream. So, yeah, so there's so many others like me out there. So, yeah, I want to create opportunities for them. Fair play. Well, Tende, before we let you go, uh, just one or, one or two more things to ask you about. Just quickly back to the rugby, because if we, we, we have to touch on the Lions Tour, of course. Um, now you can, you can be nice and objective, the fact that you're not playing anymore. But... Um, What's the feeling like back? Yeah, what's the feeling like back in, in South Africa? You know, there's been a lot of uncertainty about whether it's going ahead, whether it's not, and, and obviously now it is. And you know, um, where are people's heads back back home? I'd say everyone's very excited. No, everybody is uh, is excited. You know, there's a, there's a lot of hype already. You know, there's obviously a bit of uncertainty around having fans in the in the stands. You know, that's what people are waiting for mainly. But the players, I can tell you, you know, they're relishing the opportunity to face the Lions. It's a special, special occasion. You know, I got to be a part of it in 2009, and it was surreal. And, um, you know, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's great that tradition was not broken, and the Lions are coming to South Africa, and not the Springboks going to the UK. That is very important, you know. So the tradition is intact. And I think that, yeah, it's going to be a big, it's going to be a big battle because the Lions will be highly motivated, you know, they want to revenge the loss of 2009. And there's also been other, you know, um, uh, things that happened at the World Cup, you know, with the Springboks beating England and Wales in the semi-final. 
you know so there's a yeah so there's a bit of yeah there's a bit of uh you know uh yeah some bitter feelings there so yeah so and 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 and, and on the other, other side as well when you look at the springboks the guys have been relishing you know the opportunity to wear a springbok jersey again because we when we last played was the, the world cup final that's the last game that the springboks played so the guys are keen to get back on the field again and uh and just uh yeah, play, play, and to the best of their ability, and represent South Africa. So, yeah, it's, I can't wait to watch, man. I'm going to be a fan and screaming my lungs out. Yeah, well, the fact that we've got the two front row specialists here today, it'd be wrong for us not to to get you to pick your picks. So, Mike, what are your what are your picks for the Lions, and then we'll go with Tende from oh, South wait, Africa. Front row only. Front it? row only. Okay, yeah. so I reckon tight for a long, probably a tight head, uh, and. But after that, then um, Kyle Sinclair, possibly, and uh, Lou said I'm I'm going back Keen Healy to get there. Yeah, for yeah. yeah. And um, Win Jones from Wales, I would say, has a good shout. And then the fifth prop. Yeah, we want you to give our three mark, not our six. <laughs> what? Do you know what I mean? Like the three but, starters. But, uh, we were talking tight heads and loose heads, man. Yeah, yeah, I know. But if we want you to pitch your, put your neck out and give us a pick. Like who's your who's well, your who's starting test, test who's your starting row? front row? Test front row. Okay. Right, I'm probably going to go with Tiger Tighthead. I would say Ken Owens a hooker, mm-hmm. and Keen Healy at loosehead. That's fair enough. What, what about you, Tende, from South Africa's perspective? Uh, yeah, that's a good front row, uh, Mike. Uh, I like Ted Fallon very well. Uh, I think from the Springboks, uh, definitely Stephen Kitsov, uh, no doubt. Um, then Uka Bongi. Bongi or Moko, okay, I'll say Bongi, <laughs> uh, and then Tighted France Malheur, so there's nice continuity there as well from the World Cup, so a lot of experience in those guys. Yeah, definitely. Is there any players from the Lions, and obviously you're not involved anymore, that you'd be looking at going, that you hope they don't come, you know, because you, you think they're extreme, <laughs> well, they might be a, a big threat to, you know, causing South Africa issues. Yeah, I definitely think, uh, like Mario told you, I think he's an exceptional player. I think he, you know, he's, uh, you know, it's been a headache to every team that he faces. <laughs> so I think he's going to be one of those weapons that the Lions are going to try and utilize, especially, you know, line outs and around the field, you know, it's got a crazy work rate. So, yeah, I think he's going to be a, a point in our sights. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be tough, you know. But I know the, the Springboks will, we have equally, you know, tough guys, and you know, like even it's a bit, you know, he's just un, unreal, super talented player, one of my best friends. He's probably gonna kill me if I don't mention his name. So. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, would you, you're still gonna call him one of your best friends after what he's done to you here today? Yeah, hey, I think I might need to relook at that because yeah, he set me up properly. <laughs> Definitely. Well, listen, Tende, before we let you go, Shock Burger tells us that you do a mean impression of Barry White. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 my gosh. No, I guess for my wife, my wife, she thinks, you know, I do a mean impression of Go Barry. on, go on. Here, oh, give, us, give, us, give us a verse. Go on, verse. give us, sing us part one. Go you're, on. You're at the front of the bus now. Come on. <laughs> it's your first cast. Go on. Uh, no, 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 no. Give us ten. Give us ten seconds. No, no, no. Go viral in the good way, man. That'll be a good exposure. Be good exposure for for your security company, man. No, Next time, I'll save it for next time when I come on the show. I'll practice beforehand. Okay. Here, you've been you've been a gent on the show, man. Thanks a million for coming on. We really enjoyed it. No, it's such a pleasure, man. Thanks for having Cheers me. And, uh, take care, man. Cheers, man. Cheers. Thank Bye-bye. you. House of Rugby Ireland. Tell us what you think by comment and rating us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. For part two of the show, we've got Ian Madigan fresh from, from Belfast. Welcome, Mads. Yeah, great hey, to man. be back, Dan. Great to see you, Mike. Good to see you too, Mads. Uh, been too long. I know. I only ring you if I'm trying to sell you something. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
like the rest of us that are retired. Mm. Uh, before we look back on some old stories and, and talk about um, some memories together mm. and, and particularly Mike's career, I wanted to touch uh, quickly on uh, the Irish women's defeat uh, to France on Saturday, 56-15. What did you make of the game? Uh, very disappointing from an Irish perspective, uh, considering you know, how well they played the previous week against Wales, you know, which was probably one of their best performance under uh, Adam Griggs. Um, ultimately, it was it's kind of just shows a gulf, like that the French team are kind of semi-pro, and you know, Ireland are still amateur, and it, it kind of showed. I mean, like, at, at the moment, there's a bit of a, like a two-tier system in women's rugby opening up. You kind of got New Zealand, England, hmm. and France, and then there's a bit of a gap, and then everyone's trying to make it up. But ultimately, you know, if if you can dedicate yourself full time to it, it, it makes a huge difference. And that was unfortunately, I think, was the difference between the two teams at the weekend. Yeah, like we had Michelle in last week, and she was saying, you know, how important it was that Ireland's discipline had to be at its best, and it was twenty penalties against them mm -hmm. that made it really hard for them. Um, but on top of it, like it wasn't like the French team are you know thirty five, forty points better than the Irish team. The Irish team didn't play well. You know, no. and and on our day, like I think the girls know that they can go toe to toe with, with that French team. Yeah, there's definitely a lot more in them. Uh, <coughs> I, I, on the plus side, you know, since since done force break, I think they've been looking fitter and fitter than ever. You know, they play Bevan Parsons. Uh, yeah, I, I was lucky enough to you know, have been coaching the women's scrum in the 2017 to the middle of 2019, and you know when I first got there, there's a, there's a couple in the squad who couldn't even do a complete a full line out lift. And they worked really hard and getting upper body strength up. Um, yeah. And you can see the evolution. I mean, if you look back at where they were, but even like two years ago, uh, there's a lot of um, lots of knowledge and experience disappeared out of the team after the, the 2017 World Cup when you had a bunch of retirements. I think Claire Malloy had more caps than the rest of them put together. Mm. And there's always going to be some kind of growing pain there as people, as women, as they get experience, you know, as you've got, like, like I mentioned, Bevan Parsons, you know, mm. she's, a, she's probably the way of the future. And like the other thing you have to take in consideration is a lot of the players there would have only taken up rugby relatively later in life, like when they go to college. So you, you miss out on those kind of 10 years of development that you get yeah, at the underage so. stage. So, yeah, like you're, but you're seeing like the new breed coming through, like Bevan, who's had a ball in her hands since she was, you know, minis. And that's ultimately what we need to get to is to start producing more. I of think the semi, the semi pros versus amateurs is the, is the biggest thing, really, you know, like, and they did perform so well against Wales. Yeah. You know, who who were also amateurs, but then coming up against the likes of France and England, like it's very challenging, really, you know, when So it is important that they bounce back this week. Yeah. You know, next team in the chasing pack, trying to chase down the you know, effectively the professional teams mm -hmm. that they're coming up against. I, I think it's uh, like the thing they've struggled with and you know, it's not just the Irish women's team that has this happened, it happened to the Irish men's team as well, it's consistency consistency of performance. Yeah. You know, you have one good game then you lose the game, then you bounce back and have another good game, and then it's just kind of that little roller coaster that um, that they suffer from. But yeah, uh, look, the game against Scotland, I think I've, I'd say they should win that, and hopefully, start to start building on that going. Yeah, forward. Cause if they beat if they beat Italy next weekend, um, they'll be in a position to 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 finish third, um, which will qualify for them to for the top tier for this new um, World Fifteen competition. Mm -hmm. So that would be something to aim for at least for them, you know. Yeah. So um, I presume you guys would have saw the headlines there in the last few days. Simon Zebo is returning to Munster and will be back in the frame to, to play for Ireland again. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it was great to see Zeebs come back. Um, you know, aside from his rugby ability, like commercially, it's a great signing as well. He's the kind of guy who gets bums on seats. You know, season ticket sales will go up off the back of it. Jersey sales will go up off the back of it. And he offers real depth, you know, whether it's on the wing or at fullback. He, he's a great option there, um, you know, to come in and compete with the likes of Mike Haley. It's great for Munster. It's great for the, you know, the Rainbow Cup for next season. And he's the kind of guy that you need there for, for the Heineken Cup to, to get over those top sides. And that's, that's probably where Munster have struggled over the last couple of seasons. So I'd say they'd be delighted to get him back. Yeah, and he'd be put himself. I'd imagine a big reason for him. I know, listen, he's, he's a proud Munster man. But a big reason for him coming home would probably be to have one eye on that, you know, 2023 World Cup and, and the fact that when you're playing away, you're 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 not going to get picked. So um, that'll be in the forefront of his minds. And then again, you had another announcement there with Scott Fardy uh, announced his retirement at the end of the season. And um, 
you guys didn't didn't play with with Scotty. But no, I, I I was always loved watching him because he was such a rock pest. You know, <laughs> you, you watch him at any rock, yeah. and he's inevitably in there messing it, whether he's slowing down the ball or whatever. I, I only. I met him briefly at one kind of pre-season game when he first joined and yeah, I thought that he'd be perfect, exactly the type of guy I'd like to play with, you know, so yeah. what's he like for? Yeah, I suppose, like, you, you guys were there when Leinster recruited well, you were there when Leinster recruited badly, yeah. you know, and I think Scott is an example of one of the best signings Leinster have, have ever made. He'd be right up there with Issa, you know, um, because it's about, you know, it's about recruiting good rugby players, it's about recruiting good people that actually fit into your you know the identity and the culture you have in a team and he was such a great fit I think the fact that he wasn't playing for Australia anymore um, and you know he had that experience from a few different environments obviously played the Brumbies then uh, played in Japan previously as well loads of experience playing the World Cup final and then coming back not playing test rugby and being available for those games when the Irish internationals were, were away um, and just a brilliant rugby player as well. He'll be sorely missed by the lads in the change room and from Leinster as well. You know, those younger second rows will have to will have to step up now with him gone. Yeah, Dev's the older statesman there now, isn't he? Dev's the older statesman. Dev's the kind of Malcolm O'Kelly of this. I remember when <laughs> I came in when we were there together from the earlier days in Leinster. Malcolm was one of the older, really more experienced guys, and Dev is kind of that person now for the younger. Mm. younger guys coming through yeah I remember when I was coming to the end of my tenure I was looking around the dressing room and you probably got this too Ferg and you're going alright I've, I've, I've no not that you've no mates left but you've no friends in the same kind of bracket as you you yeah. know with kids married you know over 35 <laughs> you know that kind of way but yeah, like, and the Dev's going to be looking around going, you know. So you're trying to say Dev's got no mates next year? Yeah, no mates, <laughs> no, no mates. Sean yeah. <laughs> no, Cronin's left, he's yeah, got yeah, no good yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, 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 That's the thing, like, you, there, like, there's not a lot of pe- people in the dressing room now that are at the same stage of life that Dev's going to be. And yeah, and that, that's, no but that's a testament to Dev's durability and yeah. how Leinster just really need him, you know. They've got, like, those young guys are going to be brilliant, but you need a, an experienced guy like Dev. He mm-hmm. hasn't been getting picked for Ireland anymore. They'll have him around a lot, and he'll be he'll be in, invaluable for them. But the next thing that I was going to bring up there was just that the Rainbow Cup. So mm. there was a few weeks back we were wondering was this going to go ahead? Was it cancelled and stuff like that? <coughs> there seems to be um, it is going to forge ahead, but there seems to be new rules in place. Yeah, so they've they've brought in uh, three new rules. Uh, the first one being uh, red cards. Now it's not a, a permanent, you know, exiting of the game. That player who gets red carded has to stay off, but he can be replaced after 20 minutes, um, which I think is, is a welcome change because you're not going to have games ruined um, like we had, you know, the, the Leinster Ulster game <clears throat> where uh, Andrew Warwick got sent off after 20 minutes. You know, mm. it's going to make it very difficult to keep that competitive. It's not impossible, but it's very hard. So um, I think it is it is good, but. I think there's still probably certain red cards that you shouldn't be able to replace, like if it's a really yeah. foul play or something like yeah. that. I don't yeah. like. I don't think anybody minds losing a player for the duration if he's poked the head off someone, you know, yes. or, or he's Absolutely. in someone's face. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. but like you know, maybe getting the timing of a tackle slightly wrong or yeah. the height, then yeah, you, you should get punished for it. But you know, like you said, um, you know, should, it shouldn't change the outcome of the game as much as it does. Yeah, and like it's, I think all three rules, um, the rule changes. You know they have good good parts and bad parts. The captain's challenge is another one, mm-hmm. so it's one captain challenge per game, um, and if you're successful with your challenge, you hold on to it. Um, oh, so like it it it's good, and like what I like about that is hopefully it's going to rule out players bickering to referees and going, you know, oh there was a knock on back there, or there was a high shot yeah. three phases ago, or. Um, you know, the, the the ref can now go, if you want to do a captain's challenge, go to your captain. Yeah. I'll deal with your captain and you can use it. And if it's a, if it's if you're right, you'll hold on to it. If it's wrong, I'm not gonna hear from anyone from your team for the rest of the game. Yeah. And I'd like to see referees, you know, if they are getting um players mouthing off, that they just go to straight to penalty and if you know, con- consistently if it's consistently happening, yeah. Yellow card players, get them off because it's it's something that's that's very much crept into the game. That players feel now that they can appeal to refs, yeah, like yeah. like a running commentary, hmm. and yeah. some people making a meal as well at times. You know, like or screaming at the ref after a rook. It was a neck roll. Look at it. Look at it. You know, yeah. That's the cap. If the captain is allowed to do that, and there's a challenge 
say if there's a try scored from several phases, and there might have been a neck roll, yeah, the captain can go up, but the players shouldn't be shouting at a referee in the middle of a game, distracting him, doing that stuff. I do yeah. agree with that. There was another one there, the, the, the goal line dropout. What, what's that about? Yeah, so obviously when um, <clears throat> if a team puts a grubber through, it's in the in-goal area, you dot it down. At the moment, it's a 22 dropout. That's now changed to a goal line dropout. Um, so you have to take the drop kick from behind your own try line. Um, yeah. Now, they've for missed penalties and missed drop goal attempts, it's still taken from the 22, which I don't really understand because... If anything, that, like in my opinion, they're the restarts that should be taken um, from the in-goal area. Because if you've given away a penalty five yards from your line yeah, and you know, they decide to go for a kick from the corner, the kick just misses, and then the team's restarting from the 22 and you're back in your own half, you haven't had any you know, reward from potentially a very good passage of play leading up to the other team infringing. Um, but what's positive is, and you know, Ross, you touched on it uh, when we were talking before the show, is we could see more attacking kicks now because if the attacking kick doesn't work out and the team catches it in the in-goal area or dots it down, it's only a restart from in the in-goal area. Yeah. So, like, how's it going to work, though? I think I read the rules to say without delay. <coughs> you know, so you, you catch and you have to kick it straight away? or On the restart? It, yeah, on the restart. Do you know anything more about that? Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how, how that's going to work. Like we went through the rules during the week. We had a big meeting on it, and uh, Dan had uh, a list of questions yeah. off the back of it that he wanted to go back and, and go. Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? So there's going to be a bit of clearing up in the first probably few games. Yeah, I think there's going to be a bit of um, there's risk reward with that uh, goal line dropout because if you think about it, attacking kick. So if you get a clearance kick and you can land it in the in goal area and get a really good chase, like that's a massive. That oh, could be yeah. a really massive um, territory gain for, mm. but at the same time, if it goes dead, it's a scrum back. So I'll be interested yeah. to see how teams kind of approach that. You know what I mean? But yeah, look, I think a short competition. It's not a bad time to trial new yeah. laws, um, and like the, the captain's challenge works brilliantly. I watch a lot of the, the NRL, um, and there's a fair bit of strategy behind it. You don't want to pull your captain's challenge too early, and then not be able to use it when the game's really close, with you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes to go. And you've already used your captain's challenge for mm. something that you know didn't work out, so you know it will be interesting to see how that is used. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Mike, listen, it was it's great to get you on the show today, but I suppose I'd love to talk through kind of your your journey because it was probably more a more unconventional one than people. You know, people just saw you coming to Leinster, you know, being very successful with Leinster, and then being very successful with, with Ireland under, under Declan Kidney and, and Joe Schmidt, but it was a road kind of less travelled, really, and if you could kind of give us a little kind of summary of, of kind of the, the, the route you took. Yeah, okay, so like I, I grew up in a small village called Ballyhooley, and I went to the local town rugby club. So I started there under 11s, Formoy Rugby Club, and I also went to, the school I went to was St. Coleman's in Formoy, not a big rugby school, shall we say. They're, they're massively into the hurling. They, they won the Hearty Cup twice there, which is kind of equivalent to like the Monster Senior Cup in rugby, you know. So, and they won the All-Ireland twice too while I was there. So they're a very good hurling school. So I played away with from my underage until I was about 18, 19, and then I went to UCC. And went to UCC four years when I first joined. You'd like to Peter Stringer and Mick O'Driscoll. Jerry Flannery were playing, so you know the AIL was kind of on that cusp, but they still, still had a lot of professional players yeah. playing in the AIL. Uh, so I played there for four years, and then I moved over to Cork Con, and I played there for another four years, and uh, eventually, um, it's quite funny. So I knew it was about time to, you know, either, either I was going to make the transition to being professional or I wasn't. And interesting enough, so my dad was talking to Leo Collins' dad. And right. his dad gave him the number, and Leo was calling Frank again, also the same as my dad gave my dad the number of an agent, a guy called Justin Page. And Justin also happened to be Dean Richards' agent. So okay. I got a trial in Har- with for Harlequins in the summer of 2006. And the, a few months previously, I'd, I'd lost my job. I was working in a lab, and... Um, Dickie invited me to train in with Munster, so it kind of got me up at level. So when I got mm-hmm. the trial, it was a three-month trial. I was able to take the opportunity as it presented itself. I had to play two trial games before they offered me the trial. So I played with the a, their A team twice, and 
those went well and then they offered me a three month contract in the back of that so uh, he played some amount of games for Harlequins though because consecutively was there not something I remember oh, Bob Casey was telling me one yeah time. so in my second year there I played 18 consecutive 80 minutes on the bounce yeah, that's uh, incredible yeah, that's but, the Premiership, but, but, isn't it? For yeah, you? that's the Premiership for you. But like, I needed that though. You know, at yeah. my stage in development, I was able to. I didn't have. I call myself classic car with not a lot of miles on the clock. So <laughs> I. Uh, but I, I turned professional at twenty six. You know, yeah, so that's which is old. You don't see yeah. that now, like you know. No. Yeah. And so I, I, I played. Was it eighty three games for Harlequins uh, over three seasons, and uh, just loved it. Really enjoyed it, and. Um, in February around 2009, Cheka came calling. Um, and I was looking over at Leinster, you know, winning Heinen Cups. They played in that Bloodgate game, for example. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, I was like, well, there's got Stan, there's CJ there. So, like, where do I fit into this equation, you know? And I think CJ had a long-term injury or something. And he had a like, toe injury. Was yeah, injury. yeah, pretty yeah. much. Right. And, uh, you know, Stan was also, could also play lucid. So, I, yeah. and I knew... You know, if I wanted to play for Ireland, which I think every player ultimately wants, I had to go home because mm. I was getting released for camps at times. But the way that the Premiership works is, you know, England are, are England pay the Premiership to release players, English players for camps, and Ireland weren't going to do that. So, you know, we were only rely released when they were obliged to release us in the international window. So yeah, I took a punt, came back to Leinster, and. Uh, yeah, the, the first season I thought I made a serious mistake here, you mm. know, because um, first couple of months went fine. Uh, Stan was out injured, so I was getting picked, and then I made this dumb mistake against London Irish at home in the first European Cup when the Lens were defending their title. I kind of, you know, you know, running back from a rock and the ball squirts out in front of you, and it just reflexi- reflexively kicked it, and <laughs> you know, the London Irish thought the penalty won the game, and. Uh, mm. I think Ryan yeah. Lamb kicked that, didn't he? I yeah, can't remember yeah. that game. And uh, Chex was not in a forgiving mood <laughs> after that. So. I remember that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what year was that? Was it 2007? Was 2009. It? 2009. 2009-2010 season. And uh, so I was, I was almost going kind to of pull in the ejector seat there because like, I was getting picked every week and over in Harlequins. And, mm. you know, I mean, like, you're, you're, I think the low point came during that season when I had this big callus right here. And I was like, what the hell is this from? Because we we're not doing a lot of boxing. You know, it wasn't, there was not no exercise I was doing, I was doing that. Yeah. And then during one session, it hit me. It's from holding tackle bags. Oh my God, <laughs> that is not good. Yeah. That is not good. Yeah, it was so, <laughs> it was so, I was looking, I go, what is it? Yeah. Oh. You were just going to sleep at night with yeah. a bib on because yeah. you know, yeah. it's easier for you to win and yeah. keep it that way. Yeah. Oh, we've yeah. all we've strapping all your hands up before yeah. training to yeah. hold the pads. Yeah, it's just, it's just so dark, you know. And I used to go with a few of the lads like Ronnie McCormick and uh, you know, you know, we were training David Lloyd's at the time, and you'd go down yeah. past the tennis courts, and we'd go for like. A, a cappuccino or you know, I call them sappuccinos you could just like have a little sapping session and moan and bitch about not getting selected and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah in fairness though like once you did get your opportunity in Leinster you know you were one of those players under Joe Schmidt really that he trusted for a long period of time and um, you know like the majority of your caps for Ireland came under him. Fair bit of success. Yeah. Like, did you send him back any money um, when, you, when you finished? Up I think he's making enough of himself. But yeah, look, I think <laughs> I, 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 of all the medals I ever won, all of them except one was under Joe. Hmm. You know, so you know, two, two, the two uh, Heineken Cups, the the two Six Nations. And, you know, I think there was there was one Pro Fourteen medal I got under Matty, but that, that the rest of them, you know, was all. Down to down to Joe. You know? Yeah, and so, I think we can all vouch for the just how much he got out of his players, Joe Schmidt. And you know, people can say what they want about him, but at the end of the day, for the people that were coached under him, very intense. Obviously, the environments and the like, the long Six Nations were they were exhausting. But at the end of the day, when you were winning them, like it was it was worth it. And the stuff he did in Leinster, he brought us to to a new level. But the three of us were kind of, you know, we were a few a couple of players that are three players that were. Lucky to have him in both Leinster and Ireland, really, yeah, were we? Very much so. I think one of the big things with Joe is like the way he would have treated you would have been very different to Mike and would have been very different to me. And that was a real skill that Joe, Joe had. He had a good kind of sense of how he could get the most out of each individual within the team. Mm-hmm. 
it was, it was funny though because when he first came along, uh, we, we lost a lost a few games. I think we lost one to the Benetton. We lost over in Edinburgh. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, this guy's too soft because he wasn't kicking tackle bags around and breaking uh, <laughs> coaches' box like Cheka was. But like, yeah. you know, how little did I know? You know, and yeah, we 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 soon found out that no. <laughs> yeah, because he is the first year he came in would have been the when the World Cup was going on. So yeah. it was a, like it was a very young squad. You know. Leinster traditionally are usually a bit slow out of the blocks mm-hmm. and I, I think he lost maybe three of his first four league games Yeah, mm. um, but very quickly turned it around yeah, he did and yeah there was a classic headline Joe Schmidt has lost the dressing room like, <laughs> after, yeah, after yeah. three games but like, we could see what he was trying to do and it was just once it clicked for us we, we didn't look back I know and it, I suppose like as a head coach I you know from the head coach of a coach but yeah checks was one but really Checks would lose it, but actually, otherwise, you know, he would be kind of a very approachable guy. I found Joe definitely in camp with Ireland. It was mm-hmm. different. I think people were scared of their life of Joe. Like grown men were scared of their life of Joe. He had, you know, the ruling was if you're not five minutes early for a meeting, you're, you're late, and yeah. mm-hmm. that started to spiral. Like lads were turning up ten minutes early. Sometimes you come down, you go, Jesus, is it started? But yeah. there was. Doing a walk a through, doing a walk through, you'd have your boots and your gum shield on, like you know, <laughs> yeah. it'd be like seven o'clock on a Sunday in Carton House, and like, yeah. you're, you're like psyching yourself up. You've got all the notes, like or the, all the plays written on your hand because you're afraid that you mightn't run the right lines in a walk through. Yeah, uh, <coughs> but like there's no fear. Like you're suddenly you're, you're maybe you're sitting down reading your phone, and then you look up and you're alone in the room, and you're just like. <laughs> Where the hell am I supposed to be? You know, where is everyone? <laughs> but you had that one, Mike, before oh, that God. international. Who was it against? It was one? against Wales. So, I, I, the, the previous day, I, uh, so just I was, I was late for a walkthrough. That there's always a walkthrough in the morning of a, a match, and the previous day, I'd just been feeling ropey, like I did some sort of tummy bug or something. And I went down for breakfast that morning, and I had breakfast. And I just didn't feel good, so I thought I'll go. I'll go back to bed. I put yeah. the head down here uh, for for an hour before the walkthrough, mm. and it'll help to help me settle. And the next thing I know, Mick Carney's hammering on our, my door, and Mick Carney's a team manager, and you do not want him if he's yeah. knocking on your door. Something is seriously wrong, yeah, right? Yeah, he's not, he's so, not saying how are you. So I get. I, I was like shit. Like my, I slept through my alarm, or I double thumbed my alarm. It just didn't go off, and uh, so I was late for the walkthrough. The walkthrough was in Stevens Green, which is right in front of the Shelburne. So I. I probably, you know, threw on the clothes as quick as I've ever had it, you know, cold sweat pumping <laughs> in my forehead, you know, running down. And then, you know, Joe's staring like blue laser daggers at me. And because uh, I'll never yeah, forget, because yeah. we all, you know, if anyone's ever late, Joe is, would, he, you know, he'd, he'd straight away notice if anyone is late, number one. But obviously, with your, your tight head prop for a walkthrough, you're going to notice if he's not there. Yeah. So people looking around, where's Mike? And, I'll never forget you coming out, and I could. I was, <laughs> I was on the bench, I think, for that game, and I was looking over, and then goes, I was nudging Nugget, or it even could have been you. So that Sean or Croner, you I was like, oh, look at this, look at this, man. And it was you like sneaking into <laughs> Stephen's green. We're in, the, we're in the walkthrough there, and you could see Mike was like, he would tiptoeing up, like high behind a tree. And tiptoe up high behind another tree. I, no, 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 no. That, it wasn't that, that, far off that. Yeah. It wasn't well, far off. You, you, you did try and sneak in, yeah. but the but, sweat beating yeah. off your forehead, oh. I'll never forget it. It's, the it's, fear, yeah. the fear. You know, it's the, the fear that Joe can put into grown yeah. men. I can yeah. remember even yeah. with, um, you know, when you were starting off in Leinster, we were playing Bath away, and um, I remember... Like we didn't really know the value of walkthroughs and how you know important Joe saw them. Mm-hmm. You know they would have, they were, you know they were probably something that had been around for a few years. But you just box ticking exercises. Oh, this one, Doris in the coffee. Yeah, Doris. Doris, <laughs> Doris comes out, and like he was probably a minute or two early, and he made the mistake of bringing out a, a cup of coffee and get a saucer underneath. <laughs> <laughs> Joe just let out this roar, you know, and, you know, coffee went everywhere. And, Did you um, have a pair of slippers on as well? I think he could have had his pair of slippers. The hotel ones. That's you know, not even yeah. adding to the story. Yeah, no, sure. no, I think he did. Yeah. Um, but like, it, it was very much Joe kind of setting the tone of, I want everyone switching in for these. You know, there, yeah. there, there's calculated messages that he sends out. Like, you know, it's not like he was a hothead and he just lost his temper. There's a lot of the time he's doing stuff and there'd be a reason behind it. You know, or you, know, you might call someone out and, you know, like I said, in a calculated fashion, and everyone yeah. gets the message straight away without him having to. Oh, Jesus, he said that to me. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. 
I know, he's one of those coaches, there, there was a bit of fear there amongst guys. There was one time before we played Australia in November, I think it was 2014. 14, yeah, yeah. So during the week, myself and Rob Carney were out for a coffee. We're walking by the joke shop there on Stevens Green, we're like, geez, be gas. We, we grabbed a few um, these glucose sweets, they're joke sweets, so they taste, they, taste, they look normal, but they taste funny. Brought them to the team room and put, we put them in a bowl on a, on a little desk like that, the one in the team room that everyone is sitting around watching. So when no one is around, me and, me and Rob put the, them down. We just got the garlic ones because we asked them in the joke shop which of the really strong sweets. Oh, the garlic ones are really rotten once you start chewing into them. Put them down and then anyone who's coming in, we we're obviously going to tell them, you know, these are glucose sweets from Ruth Wood Martin, who was the then <laughs> nutritionist at the time. They were beautiful, you know, you know apple drop sweets. Uh, really, really nice. So next thing, first person that walks in, Joe Schmidt. Oh. Right? And of course, he clocks the little thing of sweets. And he goes, um, oh, picks one up, starts opening. My life is just flashing in front of my eyes. I was like, oh, my God. So, but we were watching a game or something on, on, on the TV. So I was kind of watching the game, but I was like, oh, oh Jesus. So he starts sucking it, like, he's sucking it. And we, me and Robert actually taste them before we came back to see how rotten they were. And they're horrible. But it, it, it takes a little while for the taste to set okay, in, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. So I was sitting there going, oh, Jesus, just looking across. He's sucking around. He's like, mm. he's kind of sucking it. And he just goes, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Spat it out. Spat it out and threw it on the floor. So we, we had to come clean to him. Um, ironically, that was my last start for Ireland. That no week. way. Yeah. No Funnily way. enough, yeah, yeah. yeah. La- oh. last, last start for Ireland there. So probably not the best idea to do that to, oh, to a head coach. But um, yeah, just m- moving on into... Um, just the front row at the moment, Mike, in Ireland, and where you see um, some of the, the, the potential and some of the bolters maybe you know, for Ireland next week, or next year, from some of the performances um, from the provinces. Uh, look, look, we have, the, you know, have established internationals like Tig and Andrew Porter and you know, John Ryan and um, on the loose side, obviously, Keen and Dave Kilcoyne and Ed Byrne. But if, if you're looking below that... I mean, you've two really good young props in Very Ulster, so, yeah. in, in Tom O'Toole and um, Eric O'Sullivan. Mm. You know, actually, I think Eric is like a clone Jack McGrath sometimes, you know. Yeah, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he he wouldn't quite have the size yeah. that, that Jack With the scrum cap on. With the scrum cap on. But yeah, he's a very mobile. Very, like, yeah, I think loose heads now, you kind of have to be mobile. Yeah. And he certainly takes that box. But um, yeah, himself and, and, and Tom O'Toole, as you mentioned, Tom is... Is someone who I think could be, you know, could definitely make that step forward uh, to the international stage. Now, obviously, I don't know the scrums inside mm-hmm. out, but I, I was like I say, I've been watching them. I was watching them. I, I, I always watch scrums, right? If they're on TV, I'm watching them. And uh, Tom struggled in the early half of his career with scrummaging, but like the last few years, he's really, really come on that, right? And you know, I think if you're looking. I mean, like obviously Marty's there as well, but we're just keeping it kind of like the younger age bracket. Um, like Tom, I think will have you know will have a nice career in an Irish jersey, you know, um, because like he's got he's got all the brown of field bits. Uh, he needed to work on his scrummaging. He's done that, so yeah, I think he's he's definitely one for the future. If if you look around the other provinces, uh, like Roman Salanoa went from uh, Leinster down to Munster. He's, I think he's a lot of raw power for you, probably would have. Yeah, he's worked. extremely strong, yeah. Yeah. And they have Keenan Knox down there, mm. um, yeah, from, who was originally from South Africa. Uh, Jack Anger also moved from Leinster down to Connacht. And, you know, like, so Jack, I, I remember watching Jack playing uh, under 18s at the age of 16, so he's always been a talent coming through. Mm. So, but what all those guys need is game time, just game time, game time, the game time, because that's the only thing that'll accelerate the, the growth of a young prop. You know, yeah, um, definitely. It's, it's I think. To, you need to have. I mean, when Tiger was coming up, he's a couple of bad days in the scrum, but he hasn't had them since. You know, you, you yeah. need you need to have get your pilot's wings. You know, get sent up into the air, and but once you that done, then you, you grow a lot from it and you learn from it. Yeah, some great depth there, and I think it's yeah. it's definitely a position that would be strong for Ireland for quite a while. So, just before we we call it a day, 
Pat has one for you, Mike. So yeah. um, with five minutes to go, Nigel Owens penalised the Ireland scrum inside the New Zealand 22 in Christchurch in 2012. Mm -hmm. The All Blacks went up the other side of the pitch and won through a Dan Carter drop goal. Did, my, did Nigel Owens make the right call on the scrum penalty that day? Not at all. I think <laughs> Keen, Keen had gone up and he called us for wheeling and there was there wasn't a wheeling. No? No. He just... He, yeah, Nigel Nig has some history in giving important decisions and, you yeah. know, when Ireland are playing New Zealand. I played that, I remember playing that day, particularly disappointing, but, um, yeah. yeah. Because, like, oh, but, yeah, we, we so we, we'd uh, lost well in, in previously. I was just coming back from a hamstring injury, so it was my first game in about four or five weeks after the pro, I think we lost to Ospreys in the pro 14 yeah, final. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, but like it was a cold, wet day in Christchurch. We were probably doing well to draw the game. I remember yeah. from playing, and it yeah. really that was kind of one of those ones. But um, and we sh we kind of poked the bear because the next next week they went out and they slaughtered us sixty nil. Hmm. We lost a few for injuries, and that was yeah, yeah, unfortunately. But cheers, guys, and cheers to everybody for watching and listening. A big thanks to producer Pat Paul, Anthony Dermot, and everybody that helped getting the show together. This is House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe. Game changed.